as a, as a, a way of prophesying, of, 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 of illustrating that, that concept. But for us to, to have a, a daily diet, whether we're singing it, reading it, rewriting it down in our journals, or memorizing it so it's on our hearts and, and, and minds, uh, it's such a, a beneficial practice. It's useful for teaching, for, for, for growing in obedience and, and godliness. And it's very meaningful when it comes to dealing with the things that we're going to talk about today, because it becomes that thing that's on your mind that reminds you of God's promises and his truths and the life that he invites us into. So this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 6. So feel free to open your Bible to turn to John chapter 6. And while you're doing that, I want to, I want to talk to you about something that's going on in our world. It's this, it's this issue of distraction, Right? I've heard actually some people talk about this as we're living in the age of distraction. And this is not a Christian or non-Christian issue. This is a human being issue. This is an issue that, that people of, of many different faiths, different backgrounds, different religions, different, dif- different ethnicities struggle with. We, we live in a day and age where distraction is, is become much bigger of an issue than it once was. When, when, uh, when Tara and I go out to an, a restaurant, she makes sure that when we come in, I'm not facing the front door, and she also makes sure that I'm not facing a TV, because she knows how the conversation will go if either of those things are going on, let alone both, right? My, my mind will be uh, just zoned right out uh, and, and paying attention to what's going on around me. It's becoming increasingly common that if you walk in a restaurant and you see a table full of people, whether it's a family or even a group of friends who are all there at the table together, but they're on their phones, they're looking at the screen that's in front of them, and you kind of wonder what sort of conversation is happening in that space where they're glued to their phones. We even have to make laws. We even have to make laws to, to deal with this issue of distraction, right? They've got the distracted driver laws now where, where you're not allowed to uh, be on your phone. Use it. You need to use a hands-free set in order to use your phone in the car. And, 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 and all to prevent an accident, all to prevent something bad from happening, right? I mean, so it's, it's good that we have these laws, but they're there for a purpose because people were... People were getting into accidents because they were distracted when they were driving. They were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing. You know, this is a little rabbit trail, and I won't go too far down it. But, you know, it bothers me when you see these videos of people recording themselves while they're driving down the road. They're, they're talking to their phone. and it, Whatever, that's a rabbit trail. We'll come back to that another time. See, the problem is when, when, when we're distracted, right? And maybe, maybe this rabbit trail is a good example of this. When we're distracted by something, our attention is taken off the thing that really matters, right? Our attention is taken off of the thing that really matters. We're not paying attention to it, and, 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 and all of our energy is given into this object, whatever this thing is that's taking, keeping our attention, that's distracting us from what's really important, what really matters. See, instead of giving attention to and listening to the people at our tables, we're scrolling through our phones, Right? Instead of talking with your spouse, you're watching ESPN 3 or 4 or 5, whatever's on in the bar across the restaurant from you. Instead of driving safely down the road, you're, you're swerving around while you're looking for just the right emoji to send to your friend, right? So we, we, definitely, we definitely live in an age of distraction. And it's not just a, a religious or a non-religious um, the, uh, factor, but it's absolutely true when it comes to our faith, that it's an issue we have to consider and pay attention to. Specifically, we want to deal with the problem that comes from the distraction of fear, right? 
When, when we become afraid, when we, we become fearful of something, it, it does something in our hearts and minds. It causes a distraction that makes us, that causes us to lose sight of, of keeping our eyes on the object of our faith. See, Jesus told the, the lawyer in Matthew's gospel that the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment in all of scripture is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, Right? But how can you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength when your, your heart, mind, soul, and strength is held captive by something that is causing you to be afraid, right? When, 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 we, are, when we are fearful, the fear steals, it, it captures and enslaves our attention to whatever it is that's scaring us, whatever it is that's causing us concern, whatever it is that's causing us to worry, and so this morning, as we, as we think about that, I want us to take a look at a situation in the life of Jesus as he comes alongside his disciples while they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And I want us to think about this topic of fear because we're not just talking about a fear of snakes or spiders or, or things on that level. What I'm talking about is the type of fear that we lose sleep over. Actually, maybe snakes and spiders could cause some people to lose sleep. But the point is, it, it's a fear that, that's broader, bigger. The thing that actually makes us, when, when we're awake at night, we have a hard time falling back to sleep because all these thoughts are running through our minds, right? A fear about our future. Where is our life headed? What, what, what will be for my family, right? A fear of an unknown about our finances. You know, I was just let go from my company. I don't, I don't know. I have some savings, but I don't know how long that will last, and I don't know what sort of opportunities are out there for me to step into in my career, right? And so we lose sleep over this thing that's causing us fear, uh, and it, it, it grabs our attention. And so in John chapter 6 here, Jesus' disciples are faced with a situation that's frightening. And, and as they, they come to this crossroad where they must decide for themselves, will we continue to dwell on and focus on and give attention to the thing that's frightening us, that's giving us fear? Or will we surrender that fear and invite Christ into that circumstance? to invite Jesus into that place to do what only he can do. So if you will, turn to John chapter 6. We're going to pick up in uh, verse 16. And I'm just going to read a handful of verses for us here in the Gospel of John. John 16 says this, uh, 6, 16 says this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word because that's what it is. You have spoken and revealed yourself to us. Lord, give us ears to hear eyes to see, minds to comprehend, and hearts to courageously embrace uh, the things that you have said, uh, the ways that you've revealed yourself to us. May your word, Lord, take root in our lives and transform us from the inside out. May this time we've devoted to you be that time that bears the fruit of faithfulness to you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the place that this passage picks up for us this morning is really just where we left off last week. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, 
And as the crowd gets excited about this, uh, the, the Gospel of John tells us that, that Jesus withdraws from the crowd because he's not ready to, he, he doesn't want them to make him king. They want to make him king for the things he's done, and he knows that that's not really the right thing that should happen. So he withdraws from the crowd by himself. If we're to look in the other Gospels, the other Gospel accounts tell us that Jesus goes off to pray, right? That, that he separates himself to go off to pray to his Father. We're told in the passage that as the day got on to evening, Jesus' disciples went down from the mountain, got in a boat, and began their travels to Capernaum, a long journey across this very large lake, right? Now, any fisherman who would have worked on the Sea of Galilee would, would be well aware of the dangers of traversing this lake, right? They, 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 they knew that this lake had the potential to, just on the, on the, the drop of a dime, the, the drop of a hat, whatever the saying is, that this, this violent wind, the squall, can pick up and cross their path, making their journey very difficult, very dangerous, very life-threatening, right? The, the, the Sea of Galilee actually is located about 600 feet below sea level, and so it has with the, the, the hills on either side of it this kind of tunnel effect where when cool air comes in, it, it displaces the warm air and creates these violent squalls, right? And, and so it was, it was a known fact that this sort of thing happened on the Sea of Galilee. That's not a, a miraculous or, or supernatural event. This is a perfectly natural event that happens to the disciples as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. But, but, but what we have to understand is as they face this bad weather, they're getting worn down. They're losing their options as to how to, how to get to the other side of the sea, to get to the other side of, uh, uh, of, of the Sea of Galilee into the town of Capernaum. In Matthew's account, he, he describes the toll that the waves were taking on the, the boat and the disciples. In Matthew 14, he says, The boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Now, they're, they're rowing into the wind, mind you, right? They're, they're, I don't know if you've been in a rowboat or a canoe or something like that when it's windy out, but, but it's a lot harder to row when your back is to the wind, right? When you're rowing into the wind, you're pulling, trying to fight against the wind. It's exhausting. So after three and a half hours, or I'm sorry, after, after a number of hours, after a, a lot of time, they only find themselves about three and a half miles from land. From, from where they started from, which is, which is far, but it's not nearly as far as they should have been, right? They're in the middle of this lake, and they're starting to wonder, what are we going to do? We're, we're worn down. We're exhausted. The, the boat has been beaten up. And they're probably feeling a little bit hopeless, maybe, right? Maybe a little bit frightened. We, we, we certainly understand from me reading the other Gospels that this was an intense journey for them. Can you relate to that feeling? You think about your life, you think about the circumstances of your life. Have you ever been in that situation where you're, you're beginning to feel that hopelessness, that, that feeling like you've been fighting, you've been struggling, you've been working so hard to, 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 to navigate the circumstances of your life, and you really don't feel like you've made much progress? I remember when we, when we moved houses, I rented a U-Haul for the day, because it wasn't a long move, right? I mean, not very far at all, actually. It was 100 yards, if that. But, but we figured, you know, if we can load it all in one truck and move it over there, it'll be a quicker moving process. But here's the thing. I chose the absolute worst day to move because it was raining cats and dogs. So we load all our stuff up in the truck. And, of course, when you rent the, the U-Haul truck, I don't know if my dad taught me this, but it's like when you, get, when you buy the extra insurance, it's really a scam, right? I mean, if you've got your own insurance on the vehicle, you don't need the extra insurance, which... 
I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I've, that, that's just the habit I've built. So I declined the insurance, right? So now we, we've got this truck loaded up. I'm trying to back it up to the front door. And wouldn't you know it, it gets stuck, right? And, and it's not just stuck. I mean, this has been raining like crazy. So it gets stuck in the mud, right? And, and now I'm thinking, oh, what have I done? So it's a terrifying feeling. So I, 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 I gun it, right? And it gets more stuck in the mud, right? I, I get some wood planks to try and build a way out from the mud. I get a, a shovel. I'm, I'm working at this. It felt like an hour at a time, you know, like, i got to get us out of here soon. And you just felt like nothing you could do is going is gonna, is gonna to resolve the situation. I, I, I became afraid of, of not having the extra insurance on the vehicle. What sort of cost is this going to incur? I, I became af- afraid of even thinking, am I going to get out of here, Right? Are we going to have to call a tow truck? It, it may have even been like a Sunday afternoon, right? So I'm thinking not many shops are open, not many, anyway. All that to say, I, I was feeling quite hopeless at this point. I, I didn't know what to do. I, I felt like no matter how hard I tried, nothing I could do was going to get this truck out of the mud and up to the house so that we can unload it. Can, can, you, can you understand a, a sense of hopelessness, of fear? of feeling like you, you, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, no matter what sort of solutions you come up with, nothing seems to work, right? Maybe, maybe you could relate to what the disciples must have felt when they were rowing their hearts out but not getting any closer to the other side, right? The disciples were told were a, a long way from the land. They were beaten by the waves and the wind. The wind was just working against them the whole time. And as they row with their backs into the wind, they realize that there's something else that's going on, right? They realize that there's, there's, not, that there's something that's not in the boat with them. What they don't have in the boat with them is Jesus at this point, right? John points out in verse 17 to 19 of chapter 6, he says, It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Again, here's this word, a, a, a different version of it, but, but fear nonetheless. They were frightened by seeing Jesus walking on the water toward them. Now, now John kind of says, almost like as a, a narrator looking back, that they saw Jesus walking on the water. But at this point, the disciples don't really know who that is coming toward them, right? The other gospels actually said that, that they thought he was a ghost coming to them on the water, right? That's got to be a frightening moment. When you're out in the middle of a lake like this, it's dark, it's windy, there's a storm, and you see this figure walking on the water toward you, that's got to be frightening. But see, I don't think John points that out so much. And I think he does it for a purpose, because John has written his gospel from a a particular perspective. And the reason why, I think, is I think he's setting up a contrast for us. Throughout the book of John, he uses these contrasting themes to depict what a life of faith looks like. Light and dark, love and hate, spirit and flesh. All of these themes are found through the book of John, and they're there to depict the life of faithfulness, of belief, and the life of unbelief. Right? And here in John chapter 6, John's account of Jesus walking on the water is contrasting what the life of faith looks like when you have Jesus in the boat, and what it looks like when he's not in the boat with you, right? Life without Jesus' presence is exhausting from rowing in our own strength. Life without Jesus' presence is, is fearful and hopeless. 
Life without Jesus' presence is feeling the wear of the waves crashing up aside you in the, in the water. Life without Jesus' presence is darkness. Right? I, I think it's not by chance that John says in, in chapter 6, it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. When Nicodemus visits Jesus, what is it? It was night and it was dark when, G, when Nicodemus comes to ask him questions. When, when Judas betrays him, when, he, when he's sent out from the Last Supper, it says Judas went out and it was dark or it was night. Right? There's this theme throughout the Gospels, throughout the Gospel of John, I think that he's, he's drawing our attention to, uh, of the contrast between light and dark. In, in the beginning of the Gospel, you may remember how John's Gospel begins. He says this in, in chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, in him was life. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Something happens, I think, when we learn to, to, to invite Jesus, the, the light shining in the darkness, to, to invite him into the life uh, that we're living, right? When, when we invite him into the circumstances of our lives, something happens. His light shatters the darkness because the darkness cannot overcome it. And so I, I believe that this is what the disciples are about to find out in our passage, Look at verse 20 with me. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, now this word glad in verse 21 is a little bit misleading. It, it almost seems like you're saying, oh, we're, we're happy to be here, right? I, I don't think that's what they're saying here. I don't think that's, the, the, the Greek of glad actually conveys more of like this sense of willing desire, right? The, 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 the disciples were happy to have him in the boat. They were, they were glad, you know, they said, yeah, we'd, we'd love to have you in the boat, Jesus, right? It's not a matter of, okay, you can get in the boat, right? They, they, they had this willing desire to have Jesus in the boat with them, right? In the midst of all their fears, when they realize who it is, they are happy to invite him into that space with them, right? It's not just a matter of, oh, we're glad, there's a, there's a willful, a soul-level desire that they have to see Jesus in the boat with them. They went from being frightened of this ghost-like figure walking on the water toward them to this willfully desiring Jesus to join them in the boat in the midst of the storm. And this change of, uh, of heart and mind happens in just a few short words, right? Uh, Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid. He uses the Greek word here, ego, me, which is I am, right? So, so if you were to read this literally, he's saying, I am, do not be afraid. Now, our ears should perk a little bit when we hear that because this is not the first time that, that, that name, that title is given in the Bible. You may remember back in Exodus when, when Moses is about to go back to the people of Israel and to, to lead them out of slavery, lead them out of Pharaoh's hand of slavery and into the wilderness to the promised land. God is giving him this commandment and Moses says, God, who should I tell them has sent me? And he says this in Exodus 3. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This my name is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. I am is coming close to them in, this, in the person of Jesus, in the midst of the storm, the God of all creation, the, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob ha, has come near to them in the person of Jesus Christ. The one who was there at the beginning of, of creation. The one who has power over the seas, the, the very thing that's causing them fear. He's drawing near to them. And not only is he drawing near to them, he's saying, do not be afraid. He's not saying, hey, if you feel like it, don't be scared. He's saying, don't be afraid. And so they're glad. They're willfully desirous to take him into their boat. And the text tells us immediately they're at the land to which they're going. See, instead of living distracted by their fear, the the disciples focus their attention on Jesus. And they invite him into the boat. This morning, I'm, I'm wondering, as you think about your life, is fear distracting you from faith in Jesus? Fear is something, whether you're a believer who has walked with Jesus for a long time, or, or a new believer, or someone who hasn't yet put your faith in Christ, fear is something we all have to deal with. Right? For those who are believers, you need to gird up your life. You, you need to put on the armor of God. You have to understand that, that Satan wants to put places of fear in your life to distract you, to make you lose sight of the, of the Savior who's in front of you, the one who is with you. For those of you who, 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 who haven't yet put your faith in Christ, you need to understand something. I know that fear is in your life. But I also know from personal experience that my Jesus invites me to surrender that fear to him and to trust that, that he's going to lead me and guide me through the things that cause me such fear. Is fear distracting you from faith this morning? Maybe you're afraid of Jesus getting close to you. Maybe you're afraid of him not liking what he sees and, and, and when you invite him into your boat and when he's looking around saying, ooh, this isn't so good, Dan. Maybe you're afraid of that. Maybe you're afraid of the judgment or, or of feeling like you're not good enough. But that's not from God. Fear is not from Jesus. Jesus is the opposite of fear. What does Jesus do when, when, when he confronts fear? He dispels it. He says, do not be afraid. Because here's the thing. Throughout the scriptures, it's a theme that happens time and time again. God has told us time and time again, do not be afraid. Why? Because when we focus on our fears, we lose sight of the object of our faith. See, in the Old Testament, when, when Israel sinned against God, they, they were dying from the bite of a poisonous snake. They cried out to God said, save us, God. And so God gives Moses this instruction. He says, I want you to make a bronze serpent. I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to hold it up. And that everyone who looks at this pole, everyone who believes me and looks at this pole, will be saved. They'll be healed. They won't die. And wouldn't you know it, that's what actually happens. When when Moses holds up the pole for all to see this bronze serpent, they're healed of the poison that's within them. But this was only a shadow of the truth that we would find when Jesus came. As the Son of Man, Jesus fulfills this promise when he's lifted up on the cross. 
And, and when we look to that cross, when we look at the, the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf, we all are healed in faith of the poison of sin in our lives. See, Jesus himself told Nicodemus this in, in, three, in chapter 3 of John's gospel. He said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, our faith is a matter of keeping our focus on Jesus. It's not a matter of us getting distracted and trying to row harder because we're more scared. It's keeping our attention and our focus on Jesus, the one true sacrifice that gives us peace, peace with God. But when we're consumed, when we're, when we're held captive by our fear, we take our eyes off of him. We're less aware of God who is with us, God Emmanuel, God with us. We're less aware of him in our lives and more attentive to the object of our fear. See, the, the relationship of faith and fear is a little like the concept of training a dog to sit and stay. Now, well, just hear me out first. We've been taking our dog Marley to, to training. He's a puppy. He's about 16 weeks old. So you can imagine there's a lot that he needs to learn right now. But, but one of the things the trainer said is we need to work on patience first. And, and so this is how it works. We, we hold up a treat. We say, Marley, look at this. This is yours. Stay focused on this. We want you to sit and stay. Just look at this. Stay focused on this. <laughs> but if you've ever tried to train a dog with three kids in, in a small space, there are so many distractions going on for this dog right now, right? I'm like, guys, be quiet. I'm going to do this. And then my daughter walks right by, right? And then the puppy's like over here like, oh, what's over here, right? And I'm like, no, 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 come back, Marley. Come back, Marley. Just look. Look, I've got this for you. Stay. Stay, Marley. And then my younger son punches my older son. And the dog's over here going, what, are you guys playing over there? Right? There are so many distractions that, that come in, into play when it comes to training a dog. I get it, right? But that promise remains the same right there in front of him. This is yours, Marley. It's right here. Just stay. Just wait on it. Wait patiently. Now listen. Let me, let me just say this. No illustration is perfect. I am not saying that God is training us as, a, as we train a puppy, right? I, I'm, not, I'm not even saying that Jesus, that God withholds the promise that's right here. What I am saying is that our lives are a lot different when we keep our eye on the promise that's before us, right? I, I'm not saying that, 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 that God's going to pull his promise back, that he's not going to give us that treat that's right there in his hand. I'm saying that promise is ours in Christ Jesus, but when we've got all these distractions in our world that cause us fear, that cause us worry, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, to, to not give energy to those things that give us fear, but to trust that this is our promise, this is what I'm looking forward to, this is available to me right now through Jesus Christ. Last week I said Jesus eats his followers. This week I'm saying Jesus treats his followers like dogs. It's not true. Uh, I'm not actually saying that. But, but listen, let me just say this. I believe that when we keep our focus on Jesus, when, when we keep our eyes focused on the promises of God, our focus on God rather than our fears will absolutely shape the experience of our daily lives. And Jesus himself said, don't be afraid. Right? He commands his disciples, don't be afraid. 
But after his resurrection, he starts using a different phrase. After Jesus is crucified on the cross, is dead in the grave for three days, and comes back to life, he begins to say something different to his disciples when they're afraid. He begins to say, peace be with you. In John chapter 20, uh, we're, we're told that on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked when the, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. You know, this is important for us to understand. We can claim that peace. It's not a a prize that's held out for us not to take hold of. It's a prize that we can embrace and take hold of right now through Jesus Christ. Jesus makes the possibility of peace available to us, not because uh, just of the things he's done, but because of who he is. He is God. He is God with us. And, And even though we don't physically see Jesus here, he has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And so we have peace available to us. See, Jesus' chief aim in this world was to to bring peace between God and his creation, to reconcile the world to the Father through his death and resurrection. And so through that death and resurrection, it's no longer do not be afraid, but peace be with you. See, Jesus is our peace, and he's with us through the Holy Spirit. For those who have put their faith in Jesus, they they have willingly invited Jesus into the boat of their lives. And as a result, I'm confident they, they have peace. They can have peace. It's available to us all. Why? Because when Jesus enters your life, you have the God of all peace dwelling within you, like depicted in the book of Isaiah. Right? Isaiah 43. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have bought you back. You're mine, right? That's what God's saying. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. So later on, God will say through Isaiah, do not fear, for I am with you. See, I where I wrestled with this passage this week is sometimes I think we want to translate this passage as saying, hey, if you invite Jesus into the boat when the storm is crazy, he's going to calm that storm for you right away. And I think that there are other scriptures that may speak to that, but I don't think that that's what John is pointing us to right here, right in our passage here of John chapter 6. See, I don't think John's emphasizing the fact that, that, that God's going to remove us from our circumstances. I, I think the picture that Isaiah gives us is more like the way that God works. You're going to walk through those circumstances, but they won't overwhelm you. you. You won't get burned up. You won't get flooded out. You won't get drowned in the midst of the circumstances of your life. Keep your eyes on Jesus and have faith that he will do what he has promised to do, to lead you to the land 
that you are going, that you desire to be. A, a land that's depicted in Revelation as being a place where there's no more sickness, no more sadness, no more death, but peace with God. See, I, other gospels point to the fact that Jesus does have power for nature. And, and I believe that to be true. If he's the creator, if, if he is Jesus, the son of God, the one who is there at creation, I think he does have power over nature. I think he could have immediately stopped those waves. And, and, and other gospel accounts do uh, allow for that. But, but here in John, he doesn't say that. He says when they invited him into the boat, when they invited Jesus into the boat, they were immediately at the other side the land that they desired to be. See, I think for John's gospel, he's emphasizing the promise that it's by Jesus that we're brought to a new land. No amount of rowing will do it. In fact, we we may feel beaten down and exhausted, and the one thing that will accomplish our desire to get to this promised land, this, this place of peace, this place of beauty and rest in God, The one thing is inviting Jesus into the boat of our lives. Do I I wish that Jesus had calmed my seas? Absolutely. Do I wish that when my mom had an accident and and dealt with brain injury, that, that he would have removed me, removed her from that situation, that it would have all gone away? Absolutely. Do I wish that when my daughter was born with three holes in her heart, that that I wish he would have removed me from that situation, that he would have calmed the seas immediately? Absolutely. But I also believe that my faith guides me through that process. That in the midst of walking beside my wife and my daughter as she went through surgery, as as we went to doctor's appointments, that, that there is an aspect of looking to Jesus throughout the whole experience trusting that he will do what he has promised to do regardless of what the circumstances say, regardless of how difficult it was to see happen. I trust that Jesus is going to lead us through the the, the sea and to the other side because that's the promise that he's holding up before me. Dan, keep your eyes on this. Don't get distracted by your fear. John's point is that Jesus is the one who leads us to this new land of peace the place that we desire, that our hearts and souls truly desire to be in. A pastor by the name of Matthew Henry once said this. He said, if we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, have received him willingly, though the night be dark and the wind high, yet we may comfort ourselves with this, that we shall be at shore shortly and are nearer to it than we think we are. See, Trinity, peace is ours right now. It's ours in Jesus. But the question is, can, can we, by faith, willingly and gladly invite him into the boat of our lives? Even when our circumstances are not as we might hope or wish or desire, can we trust that Jesus does and accomplishes the very things that he has set out to accomplish, which is leading us to the land that we desire to be at? Trinity, don't be distracted by our fears. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that, uh, Lord, you you have made a promise. You've made a promise to, to give your people a place. Jesus will 
later on say, do not let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I not have told you? Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. There is a place, Father, that you have for your followers. In the midst of a a world where we face fears every day, things that can distract us from a a life life of walking with Jesus. Lord, we, we, we want to stay focused on Jesus. We want to keep our eyes on him. So would you help us to do that? Jesus, would you help us to, 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 to remain focused and attentive to you and not lose sight of the fact that, that this promise is ours. It's not something that's going to be withheld from us. It's ours. It's available to us. And it will be ours fully when Jesus returns. We thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. We pray that it would bear fruit, the fruit of transformed lives. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.